All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Lowdown. I am your host, Misha Aravena, and today we're talking about a very exciting film franchise. But before we begin, let me introduce my panel. I have Mr. Alex Pope. Say hello. It's game over, man. It's game over. <laughs> there we go. That's uh, that's the alarm of what we're going to be talking about. And of course, I have Mr. Andrew Stupart. Happy to be here as always, gentlemen. Awesome. So, uh, Andrew, of course, uh, I'm going to throw it over to you because this is your topic. Even though we're all big fans, you came up with it. So I'll throw it over yeah. to you to get us started. Perfect. Perfect. In space, no one can hear you scream. That is the tagline of the legendary 1979 science fiction horror film and arguably the biggest film and defining film of Ridley Scott's career, Alien. And uh, this, this film has, has had a tremendous legacy over the last 40 years. They just celebrated their uh, 40th anniversary back in 2019. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, this, this franchise is still carrying forward, not only in films, but uh, in video games as well and other media. Um, it, uh, you know, it comes off the coattails of not only Star Wars, but specifically uh, Steven Spielberg's Jaws in, from 1975, four years prior. In fact, a lot of critics and fans alike um, declare Alien to be Jaws in space. And, you, and if for anyone who's seen Jaws, it's that haunting music that you know that whoever's on the screen in the water like they're not going to be on that screen much longer because jaws is going to snap them up right and so what what ridley scott did is he took that feeling of jaws that horror thriller action blockbuster and he put it in outer space with a uh with a crew who's just fighting for survival and uh, so it's it, also, it's I will favorite. say, it's it's also a kind of soft remake of it, the terror from uh, beyond space. I think it's what it's called. It was some B movie made in the fifties about yes. an alien on a stowaway ship, for sure, you know, for sure. eating a crew. Misha, I appreciate that, and the, and the cool thing is, is that you know whether it's George Lucas, you know, taking inspiration from Flash Gordon, or Ridley Scott taking. Uh, inspiration from these some of these science fiction horror B movies of the 50s and 60s and even 40s uh, you know everyone has their inspirations right but I think for Ridley Scott it really totally. was a defining career film for him um, it was a role to you know it was a career defining role for the action um, heroine uh, um, Ellen Ripley portrayed by Sigourney Weaver a very strong female action hero and actually, a piece of trivia, I don't know if you guys knew this, but Dan O'Bannon, uh, who was the brilliant screenwriter behind this, along with, uh, there was a couple other co-writers as well who came up with the script that really Scott put on the big screen. Um, Dan O'Bannon, uh, aside from being an accomplished uh, science fiction writer, was also contributed to some of the visual computer effects in the original Star Wars film. So oh, really? uh, it's a, it's I just know that. Community. It, I guess the point I'm making is that the, the film world is relatively small and, and even smaller is the science fiction film world. And, and this movie really was groundbreaking. And again, it took inspiration from Jaws and, and, uh, and just kind of took that and put it in outer space. So mm -hmm. 
and and I think I think something that I I want to you know you know tell viewers is that there's lots of different types of science fiction. People think Star Wars, Star Trek, you know, but it goes much beyond that. And this, you know, what defined this film is that it really is a horror film set in space, whereas Star Wars was an action adventure fantasy pirate film. It was more of a fairy tale or space opera that that happened to be set in space. So there's a very distinct. Yeah. Um, division between sort of the Star Wars science fiction fantasy genre um, that was led by George Lucas, whereas Ridley Scott was really putting taking this horror uh, genre to the next level. So um, rounded in a, in a reality that is plausible, even though it is fiction. Even even though it is fictional, it's it's you, it, it is much more down to earth. We don't have like abandon the cantina of like of like Martians playing like fucking oboes and stuff, you know. So it's a little bit more. Uh, down to earth, no pun intended. Um, Let's say the, never the, seen first, Dino the first alien was more down to earth. The first one, yeah. the first one. Yeah. Um, so that said, that's my introduction. It, it's, it's, I remember seeing it the first time and it was a gut-wrenching, explosive uh, you know, experience for me. I remember my dad told me he saw it when it came out in 1979. He would have been just about 30 at the time and, and he was blown away as well. So I'm going to throw it over to Misha to give me your first thoughts on uh, the original Alien movie from 1979. Well, again, this comes from a director that I greatly admire. I mean, I think Ridley Scott has done so such amazing work. But the first Alien, for me, is my second favorite monster film ever made. And I think it's one of the greatest monster films ever made. It's right behind John Carpenter's The Thing for me. That's a, a whole nother show for another time. But what I love about Alien is when you rewatch it, it's one of the few films you can say was made in 1979 as a sci-fi special effects film. And it still holds up in 2021. Oh, you watch sure. that film now and it does not feel like, man, I'm watching a, a film from like the 70s that's trying to do the future. It does not feel like that at all. The matte paintings are beautiful, right? And all of the sets are practically, you can tell Ridley Scott was heavily influenced by 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yes. That look of Kubrick is definitely in this film. But we've talked about building mood and suspense. And this film does that brilliantly because mm. the first 45 minutes, nothing happens, yeah. but a lot happens. You get to know these characters, which are essentially just truckers, you know, hillbillies in space played by wonderful actors, Yafit Kodo, um, uh, the Tom Skerritt, the main role. And um, the things I love about the film the most, again, the mood and suspense are terrific. The design of the alien creature by H.R. Giger is fantastic. What an original, cool design. And what makes, like, you can tell that it's just uh, an actor or a stuntman in the costume, but it's so brill brilliantly done, like you remember, and, you, it, and the film doesn't show you the full alien until the very end, which is a payoff. It's a huge payoff, yeah. right? But what I love about the film the most, and then I'll throw it over to Alex, with a lot of these horror films, there's always the final girl or final person, final two people, and you always kind of know who it's going to be. But the way this film is laid out, you think the Tom Skerritt, the captain, is going to be the big hero of the film, and then he dies about halfway through. And then it changes into Sigourney Weaver, who is a surprisingly 
unsympathetic character. She's pretty ruthless with the other crew members. So it becomes totally unpredictable about who the last person is, which makes it an even more suspenseful film. Um, Misha, you know what? You, you did an amazing job of, of sort of summarizing some of my key feelings about the film as well. I think we're pretty aligned on our feelings, our initial feelings from when we first watched it and sort of you're, you're jumping up in your seat because you're right, because the tension builds and you're like, what, you know, 45 yeah. minutes, nothing. And then, <gasps> so, I mean, that said, I guess I'm going to throw over to Alex to tell us about your first thoughts when you saw the film and, and um, tell me about that experience when you saw it uh, for the first time and you're, I guess you would have been at home, right? On a, on a VHS tape potentially. <laughs> yeah, um, the first time I saw it, I, I mean, I was very young at the time, and I remember it being like very sort of a visceral and shocking experience. Um, but since then, I've seen it so many times um, that that it's almost like the shock has worn off on me a little bit. Um, so what I did this time is I invited my lovely fiance to watch the movie with me. Nice. And she um, she does not like scary movies. She doesn't <laughs> like she doesn't like um, morbid, disgusting things to be, uh, you know, on screen at all. Like she will just cower and hide. Um, but it was a cool experience to watch it with her because yeah. I could sort of experience it for the first time through her eyes. And, uh, and I think the most um, compelling scene of this whole movie, um, you know, we're just going to go ahead and spoil it. It's the, uh, face, the face hugger scene. It's a, a really an amazing plot device. Uh, the when idea it jumps up at him, right? Yeah, when it sort yeah, of jumps yeah. and lunges yeah. onto his face, mm -hmm. and and there's a a brilliant reveal that that I sort of forgot about until I watched it with her, and that's that's they're they're sort of cutting away the helmet of the of the spacesuit, yeah. and they're pulling it pulling it off, and then it just does this reveal of this thing sort of like over, yeah. like a like a giant hand um, clutching the face. And, and she lost it. She absolutely lost it in this wow. scene. And I've seen that face hugger a thousand times, but seeing like her reaction to it and just being so horrified yeah. uh, really drove home to me, like how cool that scene is. I mean, I think, and one I think thing I want to say about, about why that was such a powerful scene. Um, and this is a, a lot of Ridley Scott's doing um, when H.R. Giger was designing the face hugger, originally it was just sort of like this tentacle thing that was going to be hanging on to the face. And, um, and I think Ridley Scott really understood what makes good suspense, what makes really good horror is something that's called the uncanny valley. Um, and that's where something looks almost human, but isn't. Um, so, so basically he, he wanted him to change the design from tentacles to like, he wanted to see the knuckles. He yes. wanted it to actually yeah. look like the hand of a, of a human being. Yeah. And I totally. thought that was, it's so incredible that he, that he had that, that vision, that, that realization that things that are almost human, but don't like they look like they're human but they're not at the same time are so like have this um 
uh, instinctual response that's generated in the audience. Um, so it was really cool to sort of re, uh, uh, review that from her eyes. Yeah, well, for sure. And I'm just a little bit surprised that she was so grossed out by it because she has a parasite growing inside her right now anyway. Exactly. Yeah, she should be used to it. Used well, to you know what's funny, actually, right? uh, uh, this movie, uh, a lot of feminists, <laughs> and when my girlfriend first watched it, uh, they kind of put that metaphor a little bit towards pregnancy, and it made a lot yeah. of women afraid to be pregnant because they yeah. were like, oh my God, is that what it's like? Like the chest this, thing bursts out of you like that? This is why I, I wasn't, I was partially joking, but partially not. I'm so, it's so funny that you watched this with your pregnant fiance. And meanwhile, like, you know, it, it's, I just, I just find yeah. that funny for some reason. And there, um, I not, mean, there is something strangely morbid about, about the act of, of sex and impregnating someone. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden something is growing inside yeah, of them. Yeah. There's like, if you sort of like um, put your, your human side, uh, yeah. human feelings about it on the shelf for a second and just yeah. analyze it in a purely like scientific way, it's very strange. It's and, very and I thought strange. it was so cool that this movie used that idea and sort of took it to another level. Yeah. And I, I think it's so fascinating that, that they, um, they, imagined an alien that has two different life forms that yeah. complete um, the life cycle of that alien. It's just something that's like so original. I mean, there's a lot from this movie that was borrowed from 2001 Space Odyssey. There's a lot of, from this movie that was borrowed from like The Thing and stuff like that. But that is something that is truly unique in film, this concept of two life forms completing yeah. one life cycle of the well, that's, and that's the thing and obviously we in prometheus we see which is from 20 i think 2015 2016 and then we had covenant in 2017 uh, in those films we see some of the origin of the alien but in this one we don't this is the first time people are going to the cinemas they don't know what to expect and so yeah. to your point alex the shock wore off for you because you've seen it five six seven times but for 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 your fiance, it's like this is the first shot, and it's as if she's seeing it in the theater for the first time forty years ago, and and you don't know what's coming up, and you have this forty minutes of silence, well, not silence, but build up, and then all of a sudden this thing fucking you know pops out of John Hurt's chest, and I think I think the key difference between pregnancy is that you know in mod with modern medicine, you know most women survive pregnancy, but this thing is bursting right out of your chest and ripping your fucking chest <laughs> apart so i mean i mean at the end of the day it's a parasite and it, it relies on you for, for 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 nourishment and to grow but then as soon as it's done with you you're fucking dead um, prognosis negative absolutely you know what yeah. one thing i want to add before we move on to the next film is i want to give credit to the wonderful acting cast i mentioned yafa koto and tom scared and then well, actually yeah yafa koto I've got an interesting fact about him. Uh, I'll say it. In, yeah. He, he was, uh, uh, he, first of all, he's the token black guy. He's like the one black guy on the crew. Yeah. Um, you know, he's like the mechanic and everything like that. Um, like really one of, one of my favorite carries aside from, from Ripley. Um, and he actually played Dr. Kananga. Yeah, and Live and Let Die. Yeah, and live and like die. I did not know that. Yeah. I did not know. So yeah. that goes hand in hand with our Bond episode from a couple weeks ago. Absolutely. But what I wanted to say about the cast and, and, and Harry Dean Stanton and so on, they really take it upon themselves in the script also to flesh out these characters that could be just one dimensional 
disposable characters, but they spend enough time with them and give them hints about their personal uh, personalities that you actually care about them, not care about them a lot, but just enough that you don't want to see so-and-so get killed off. No. And something that I'll, so, and I don't want to jump ahead too quick. I know you're keen to jump ahead to the next film, Misha, but I just, because this one is the one that set the legacy for everything else, mm -hmm. I want to spend a little bit more time, if that's okay, just on the first one, because it set everything in motion. Um, and it's the best film. It is the best awesome. film. So I, th I think the thing <laughs> oh, that I really like, what I like about this film is that you, to your point, Misha, you know, there's a lot of time for character development because as much as it is a science fiction horror film about a xenomorph with acidic blood that, that uh, can, you know, basically take down the whole crew. I mean, there's that, that whole element uh, of it, but then there's the element of survival and how people turn on each other in the darkest moments because at the beginning yeah. of the film they're talking about getting their cut of the reward and they they're getting they're like there the guy smoking a cigar and everyone's like you know thinking about the rewards that are going to come at the end but then as as p and you know as the alien um you know gets on board pops out of the chest and then and then things just start to spiral downward from there um obviously there's the scene where they even when they cut the knuckle and then the acid goes down through the hall um, things start to go on in their heads and they're like, what the fuck is this thing? Um, even before that, when they, when they have to make a choice to let someone in, like, you know, Ripley's trying to be, go by the protocol and not lock, not let them through the airlock, but Ash decides to let them through the airlock. You know, even then you can see people starting to turn on each other, hard decisions are being made. No one trusts anyone, paranoia. No one trusts yeah. anyone and it just died, you know, it deteriorates th throughout the movie. So they start off, in good spirits and then throughout the movie it's as as they're fighting for survival against the unknown the the xenomorph things just deteriorate and it's and it really is um you know the it brings out the worst in people so definitely a people film as well and some great character development like you said misha um guys before we dive into the next one i just wanted to no we're not diving into dude dude don't even talk about the next one yet i've got so much more to oh, say about for this. sure for sure um <laughs> So before, and I know Alex, you're like, you're chomping at the bit here to talk. Yep. So I, I'll throw it over to you. Um, something I wanted to talk about was the use of sound and the use of, of lighting. And I know that uh, being a, a radio and television grad like myself, um, you're very much an audio and, and visual guy uh, in, terms of, in terms of seeing the camera work, work with the lighting, and then the lighting and the camera work, the cinematics work, you know, combined with the, with the audio and the soundtrack. So touching on all three of those, I think, I think for me, something that was profound was that there was a soundtrack, but it was used very minimally. And when it was used, it helped kind of just build that intense sort of- um, The slow panning shots are brilliant. Shots for sure. Um, so I wanna talk about the lack of sound at the beginning and kind of goes hand in hand with what you were saying, Misha, about the slow build. There's a, there's, they don't, this is not a John Williams score. You know, it's no. not Indiana Jones. It's not Star Wars with this big triumphant fanfare. It's, it's the, the score is really, it's effective, but it's minimal. So Alex, I'm going to throw over to if, you to talk think, about the, the technical elements of the film and how that made it uh, successful. I'll just say a little bit more on, on the, uh, the sound and the score for, for a second. Like 
obviously the sound was amazing. The sound of being in a ship in outer space is something that was present throughout the whole movie. And I thought, I think that really gave it, it that eerie feel to it. And Alex, um, it adds to the claustrophobia in space absolutely. because they can go yes. nowhere. They are so screwed, right? There's nowhere they can go. Yeah. Yes. If, I think if there was maybe a weak point in this movie, it was the score. Um, you know, uh, it was Jerry Goldsmith that wrote the score, uh, but as as it sort of went through post-production, they sort of went the other way on it. So they used some of the score that, that he had made specifically for the movie, uh, but then they also sort of like did this like patchwork of of other stuff that they drew from from uh, scores that he had made for other movies. So you might notice that the that the very sort of like final music in the in the movie sounds kind of different. It just doesn't mm -hmm. sound like it quite fits. Um, and that and that's again just like production issues and you know too many cooks in the kitchen and that type of thing. Um, yeah, but uh, but what I also really wanted to talk about uh, before we moved on is is the art uh, and the set design of the yes. film. Uh, Misha talked about H.R. Uh, Giger, um, who is uh, an industrial uh, design and architecture um, art. He was an artist that was uh, that was skilled in these things, so he was like really the perfect guy for this movie. Yeah, and he's a Swedish artist. Yeah. He had connected with uh, Dan O'Bannon, the writer of, of the movie, um, when he was off uh, when he was off doing Dune, and and that had sort of fallen through. But he had sort of made this connection with him, and he stayed connected to the movie all the way through to the end. And uh, and it, it's it what he brought to this movie was just incredible incredible. Um, mm -hmm. He described it as a as a biomechanical landscape, and the the alien ship that they they sort of land on this planet and go into this this ship, um, the ship that he designed is just beautiful. The Nostromo. Um, yeah, the Nos. Uh, no, no, sorry. The Nostromo is the one that the crew. No, is not on. the You're Nostromo. About the alien, the alien ship on the planet. The oh, alien okay. ship. Yeah. yeah, not the Nostromo. Um, the alien ship. I don't know. Does it have a name? Uh, if the, if it does, I'm not aware of it. Um, but the uh, the cockpit of the ship is actually out of one of his paintings, um, and it's just an incredible. Ridley uh, Scott is Ridley Scott is an amazing conceptualizer of future yes. technology, and you For see it in sure. Blade Runner as well. He has an idea of what possibly things could be like in the future and how they might work yeah. and he puts yeah. it in his film so his attention to detail like every little button you see on screen they've thought about that which is amazing yeah. it was amazing so so in order to uh, to make this alien ship just seem that that much bigger and that much more real um, they were using uh, uh, the children of, of Ridley Scott and um, the children of some other crew members and they would basically throw them in a in a little spacesuit that's about half the size. And it would, and when they're filming them walking around this set, it made the set feel like it was twice as big as it yeah. was. Wow. Um, unfortunately, the uh, the the spacesuit, for as amazing as these spacesuits were, they were made out of this very 
thick, like heavy, heavy padding. Um, so all the actors, including the children that were, were wearing these things, were overheating and passing out constantly. Uh, they had to have a nurse on set to make sure that uh, that they were all right when they when they came out of these things. Um, wow. So, but it it was just amazing um, to go back and watch. I can watch this movie over and over again yeah. because the, the the artistry of these set pieces is just so incredible. And yes. Alex, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, Ridley Scott, guys, you you know that he's such you know like a lot of filmmakers in in the science fiction genre there's they have to be just by the nature of the genre that they're working in such visionaries and they all have such different takes you know you have Robert Zemeckis with his take of you know the future and back in the future part two you have you know George Lucas with his um sort of you know galaxy far far away fantasy space opera kind of um vision and then you have Ridley Scott with his dark sort of dystopian a vision, you know, vision that we see not only in, in Alien, but you also mentioned Blade Runner as well, Misha. Um, and then we see, you know, um, James Cameron, not only with Aliens, which we'll get to in a minute, but his Terminator. So there's all these different takes of the future. And each one of these filmmakers has a slightly different take on what the future will look like. Like, but before, you know, before we move on to James Cameron's Aliens, the amazing sequel where we meet the queen, Xenomorph, um, just one final thought. We've talked about, you know, the acting, which was, you know, amazing. We've talked about Ridley, or Ellen Ripley's breakout role and her being an action, female action hero. We've talked about sound. We've talked about the structural sort of the sets and, and, and renderings. Um, what a, one last note, Alex, again, for you, um, lighting and uh, camera work and sort of the slow panning and the, and the corridors and, and the strobe effects and stuff like that. Anything to yeah, say? I, I think um, they they did some really cool stuff. Like you know, one of the things that jumped out at me is when they're when they're walking through the eggs on on the alien ship there. Yeah. And there's this, there's this solid flat beam of light, and uh, and I think um, they were there was like a studio across from them that was doing like some sort of like. Uh, like music light show or something like that so they like saw this technology so they like borrowed it for that scene don't quote me on that but um but they, they, they were sort of drawing from inspiration all over the place um and then of course the uh the strobe light scene at the very yes. end yeah it's just there's something so cool about uh, um the way this movie was was shot um using the strobe light was a, a really good way of sort of like feeling like you like you just don't know what's going to happen next because yes. with a strobe light uh, as an editor you can cut at any time like it makes it very easy to edit at any at any time so you just don't know what's going to happen next and also the use of these these very close-up shots like yes. oftentimes when there's something you know that something very intense is happening the alien is is in the same space, they'll go to a close-up because you can you can see less of what's going on, and yeah. it, and it just makes it so much more suspenseful because all you can see is the emotion in the character's face. Their eyes. When you desperately want that wide shot so you can see what the hell's going on. Yeah. So Alex, this that, would definitely be. I mean, I think for all of us, this is one of our favorite films of all time. But for you, definitely. Definitely. No, Misha, I just, yeah, I guess, I guess I'll throw it over to you for, for your final thoughts, Misha, on the film. And I just, 
and just closing out because I think there's just so much to say about the, the cinema and the fact I think I think one of one of the things that we had talked about earlier was that you never really see the alien in full until the end and it's kind of this whole thing like jumping from the shadows the strobe yep. effects like you mentioned uh, and and really it, it's a tribute it's a testament to to all the production the production designers Ridley Scott, you know, the cinema, cinematographer, the lighting, the gaffers and the lighting people coming together with a brilliant product. Any, any final closing thoughts around production or acting or anything before we move on to the next film? I would just say yeah. the craftsmanship in this particular film is just absolutely phenomenal. All the departments come together to support the wonderful script and the wonderful characters. And it's a, it's a film, I watch Alien at least once a year yeah. at some point. Um, and I just, every time I see it, I'm always still wowed by it. It just, it holds up so well. It is not dated at all. And bottom line, if you have, if you are a fan of science fiction, if you are a fan of just movies in general, you have to watch this film. It's a must see. For sure. Yeah. Guys, I just, I just want to say this, this movie was an art film set in yeah. space. Um, yeah. There, it's so rare that you see um, science fiction and horror um, done with such an artistic touch. Um, it's just such an amazing movie and it's just completely different from the movie that follows it. So let's go ahead. And, well, yeah, uh, that's a perfect in. segue, Alex. I appreciate the segue into 1980, the 1986 James Cameron film, Aliens. Um, and while it does continue the franchise and it's a direct sequel also starring uh, Sigourney Weaver as the legendary um, Lieutenant Ellen Ripley. It is really, even though it has like a lot of the same vibes, it really is a different film altogether. And I know that sounds really contradictory, but I'll get into that in a minute. Um, you know, James Cameron, again, going back to what I said earlier about different science fiction or action uh, directors having different visions. Um, James Cameron made a little known film called The Terminator. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Um, but, uh, you know, one of my favorite action sci-fi films, um, followed by Judgment Day, which is ar arguably the best uh, sequel and the, one of the best um, sci sorry, sorry, action slash sci-fi films ever made, Judgment Day. But in between that, he did Aliens. And, and this, this was writing off the, the success of the 1990, sorry, 1979 film by Ridley Scott. And he just, he just takes this amazing sort of art, science fiction, horror film, and, and just kicks it up a notch with this sort of militaristic um, tone to it. It's, and rather than a crew fighting for survival, you're, you're now bringing in the Marines, right? And so what's happening- He was heavily influenced by the soldiers fighting in Vietnam. That's oh, what he sure. said in the documentary, yeah. For sure, and I didn't even know that, but I can totally see that, um, that influence there for sure. Um, but before I throw it over you, Misha, just a quick introduction. So again, it's 1986, so it's about uh, just under a decade later. Um, and, uh, you know, they've, they've had this, uh, this amazing director who came off of his success two years earlier from The Terminator. And basically what's happened is, is as um, Ellen Ripley has been frozen, I think it's about 50 to 60 years. 57 now. years, I think. Was How many is it? 57. 57, my mistake, there you go. Uh, I can always count on you, Misha, for the details in terms of the plot. Um, so 57 years, she has a daughter, but her daughter's not even sort of like her, she's outlived her daughter because she's yeah. been for 57 years, almost 60 years. And so she finally gets 
brought back to the, um, the main headquarters uh, and, and is really reprimanded for destroying the Nostromo. And we have to remember that from the first film, um, you know, we, the whole thing, the whole point is that they want, this corporation wants them to bring back the Xenomorph and everyone else is expendable, right? Like the crew mm -hmm. is expendable. And we see that everyone dies in the first one, except for Ellen, because she's the survivor. Ripley is the survivor. And even though she, you know, defeats this thing, she's still reprimanded for destroying the Nostromo in the, in the sequel. And she's really put it in a low place, right? Like she's being, you know, um, basically like kicked out of the, out of service and everything. And, be, but, but the thing is these guys, this corporation really wants to get their hands on the Xenomorph because it, it's, it's basically advanced biological warfare that the, you know, the military, whatever military organization can get their hands on the Xenomorph basically has the advantage because it's this biological fucking secret weapon. And so they send her out under the guise that she's gonna go save this colony that's not the whole point. The whole She's point duped. is for, uh, for her to get this alien and bring it back to the corporation. And that's why they send that sleazy salesman guy with them on the mission. And the Paul Reiser corporate asshole character. There's, yes, James, yes, there's so always man, that in every James things, Cameron film. <laughs> no, no, for sure. So Manda things take a rotten turn. I mean, it's the same planet where we had this alien vessel in the first one. But meanwhile, unbeknownst to these... Um, uh, you know, these colonists, these colonists have set up this, this livable city, this livable, livable colony on the same planet, and they have no idea what's in store for them. And, uh, and obviously, uh, you know, the crew comes in with Ellen, who's been reinstated, and she's, she's leading this crew, and man, to think things turn ugly. So I'm going to throw it over to uh, Misha to give me your thoughts on James Cameron Aliens. Well, the thing with Aliens, to me, it's the main thing, to me, it's every bit as good as Alien, but it's a completely different film. I will say this, so the first Alien is a traditional horror film, right? This is an action film with some horrific touches. So it's a totally different film, but it's, it's just as good as Alien, which is a huge testament to that film. To be, a, to be a completely different film stylistically and tonally, but yet it's just as good and honors the first one. That's an amazing feat in itself. But I'll start off, I mean, you have tremendous action scenes. It's such a well-paced film. I think this film should be studied uh, in film classes in terms of like how to build up your proper uh, your characters so you care about them and uh, uh, put them in certain action sequences to make it a compelling film. Because this is a film that basically anyone can watch and be entertained. But the human characters, the relationship between Newt and Ellen Ripley is really compelling. The mother figure that she becomes to Newt is a wonderful relationship. Um, it's one of the most quotable films. Bill Paxton's character and you have Michael Bean as, as, as Hicks. The game over, man, game over. Um, the miniatures are absolutely brilliant. Um, and then the basically the last 20 minutes of the movie when she discovers the queen nest and then they go back into the ship. That is a roller coaster of a sequence. The ending of this film is yes. one of the best film endings I've ever seen. It is yes. so I just, exciting. I remember the, you bitch, and she fucking, oh, I love that part where she's on the big yeah. fucking giant um, industrial thing, and she's just taking the queen over the airlock. I it's, love it's, that shit. It's man. so I love badass. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. 
No, no. And then you have Lance Hedrickson as Bishop, which is a wonderful character. Yeah, I love yeah. how at the beginning, she does not trust this uh, synthetic because of what happened in the first film with yeah. Ian Holmes' character, but she learns to earn its trust. I think that's a wonderful development. So bottom line, it's a wonderful constructed action film with wonderful human characters yeah. going through this journey. Um, and those are my uh, initial thoughts, but yeah, I think it's a wonderful film and it's totally different. I, I, I visit this one a little bit more than Alien just because it's a bit easier to watch, right? Once you've seen Alien a bunch of times, right? You can kind of skip that, that first half hour, even though you <laughs> admire it so much. But so this one has a bit more rewatch ability yeah. to me, but I, I love them both. I mean, I can't choose between which one is better. To me, it's they're both A plus pictures, Aliens, awesome film. For sure. And I, before I, I before, oh sorry, go ahead, go ahead, Alex. Jump right in. I, I couldn't I couldn't disagree more. I think that, that I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I couldn't disagree more. I really think that this movie is just like totally second potato to the first one oh. um, you know as much as i always enjoyed james cameron flicks um but that's what they were they were flicks they were fun popcorn movies um this oh, is no. this uh first of all hr giger had nothing to do with this film um not by choice it, it was sort of just an unfortunate reality that he was tied to another project at the time that they wanted to do this. Um, and they decided that that was not essential in making this movie. Um, so it doesn't have that like artistic touch to it. Um, the, the set design, you know, it's, it's good, but it's not. Oh no, it's good. wonderful when they go into the nest for the first time and all of the, 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 the colonialists are like in the, you know, about to be impregnated. I think that's like well, a wonderful set piece. But a, a yeah, I, I mean, it's it's true. Like they they did have some some creepy stuff, um, but they relied on more of this this overwhelming sense of multiple aliens. Like if you think one alien is scary, what about ten or fifteen aliens? Yeah, you know, bigger, it's just like it's better, sort of like of. overwhelming your senses. Uh, whereas what the first one was able to do with just a single drop of acidic blood, uh, yeah. just one drop of blood has everybody freaked out, you know? And, and that sort of um, gives you an idea of how they treated the alien. Just one alien on the ship is a, a disaster. Um, now you've got like aliens coming out of this corridor, aliens coming out of that corridor. It's like, it's just sort of overwhelms the senses that, that, that sense of anticipation is gone. Um, well, so, so it really is just an action movie. Um, oh. The first one where the first one was more like 2001 Space Odyssey. This one is more like Rambo in space. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's good, but it's James Cameron rehashing old ideas. I don't know what's with him and the minigun thing. Um, but like every single movie he did from that time period, they've got this like big waist mounted, you know, Gatling gun uh, that they go in with. Uh, you know, you got Rambo does it, Terminator does it, and now they're doing it in, in, uh, in Aliens as well. So Did James Cameron direct Rambo? No, I think he had like a writing credit on it. Yeah, though, in one of them, the second writing, he was attached to it in one way or another. Yeah. Way. 
The second one, I think. Yeah. So, Alex, I, guys, I'm kind of in the middle, like, and I, I'm usually more decisive, but you guys have kind of made both both made some compelling points. Um, you know, I'm always the person who I want to credit the first work, especially in the science fiction genre. And I'll go back to Star Wars because we all know that all three of us are, you know, Star Wars heads, like we're fanboys, right? So I'll use Star Wars as an example. George Lucas had to create that universe of Tatooine and, and the Death Star and everything. And that was his creation um, in 1977. And that was, him, you know, the studio took a risk on him and he had to establish it. So even though I would argue that Empire is a better movie, um, you know, he made the first Star Wars A New Hope and that was his baby, that was his brainchild. So I think in that respect, I kind of have to, to give Ridley Scott the, the, um, the edge on this one just for, for being the, the, you know, him and uh, Dan, uh, Dan O'Bannon kind of being the brain, the, you know, the, the brains behind this, this franchise with the original. And so I kind of will, I will side with Alex a little bit on this one just because it, it really is an art film set in space that happens to be horror and all that sort of stuff. But what I will say is that uh, this, the sequel just takes it and kicks it up a notch because it's not a science fiction. It is a science fiction horror, but I almost classify it as science fiction horror action. So it is, it does have that Rambo Terminator kind of quality to it where it's, it shoot them up. They have the military in there. And so, yeah, it definitely is not an art film. It's definitely more of an action film. Um, what I think, I think for me, um, what I will agree with Misha on is just the pure, I mean, if, if I, in the first one, I was scared shitless when I watched this when I was like nine or 10 years old with my dad seeing the alien mm. in the first one. But then when you see the fucking queen alien in the second one, you're like, this is the mm. queen of the thing that, that killed the whole crew in the first one. Like how much worse could the queen be? It's like, when, it's like, it's like when you have, um, a hive of bees right there's like the drone but then there's the queen uh the queen bee right and that's what i think about well the queen bee is stronger it's the mother of all the other ones right and it's just like this thing is bigger stronger badder and when you when, at the very end when she has to go into that nest with the flamethrower at the very end even now i i my i get that tingling sensation like on my arms like i get a, a chills down my spine when i see her just like marching through sneaking through um the the queen's nest it just that scene blows my fucking and mind. when the ship when the ship is flying away from the the call uh, the colony and it has that music that dun, 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 and then it blows up like yes. to alien is the kind of film where i watch with my jaw dropped scared and then aliens is a film i watch with a bucket of popcorn with a big smile on my face and my yes. heart pounding going oh my god but it's a, it's a it's a popcorn film made brilliantly though because it still pays attention to character and just yeah. one final point I want to put out there yeah. um, also Sigourney Weaver you talked about Andrew the Ellen Ripley character as an action hero this is the film where I think we finally see that where we see the badass female action hero and she was actually nominated for an Oscar yeah. for aliens yeah. as a, as best actress which is unprecedented these kinds of films this is not happen sci-fi no yeah. like horror sci-fi action so that's yeah. a that's to her credit like yeah. that's and amazing I would, I would say the same thing that's the old, one of the only reasons that you see people like Linda Hamilton who played Sarah Connor not getting uh, a win for any of these sort of things because it's because you know it is a it is sort of a, a genre piece like it's a sci it's a very clearly sci-fi piece so sometimes 
you know, actresses who are tremendously talented, like um, Linda Hamilton as Sarah Connor or Ellen yeah. Ripley, or sorry, Sigourney Weaver as Ellen Ripley, they don't get the the just you know recognition that they get. But honestly, she's amazing. And I think I think to your earlier point, not only do we see her taking command and and really um, leading the charge against this colony of aliens who've taken over the entire colony. But you also see the mother figure in her, and it's really an opportunity for character development. Um, both films do a wonderful job of character development, but I think we see her missing her daughter who has died because she's been in she's been in um, in stasis for so long that her she's outlived her daughter. So now Newt is her new daughter. Um, mm -hmm. So I think you you see the tough you know kind of Rambo side of her, but you also see the motherly. Uh, caring side of her as well, and it's a and I love that dynamic. Yeah. If there's one thing that I have to say is definitely better in this movie, it's it's Ripley for sure. But at the same time, like yeah. I, I feel like we've sort of watched her grow. Like she was in a a normal, natural, um, like like the way that she acted in the first one is how you would act the first time you encounter this thing. Mm -hmm. um, but, but this time, the second time around, I think it was incredible to just see how much more like badass she was. She's battle hardened at this point. Yes. Um, she's, she's been there, done that. She has more experience than everybody yes. else. It was incredible. I thought that was an incredible part of the movie. That's the that's one thing that I would give it more more credit for. And, for and, sure. it, and it really, and Alex, I couldn't agree with you more. And it really draws a comparison between to 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 I and mean, we will have to do a Terminator episode at some point. We'll have to have to have to because it's the same thing with with Linda Hamilton, who was in the first Terminator. She is a kid, right? Like she is a kid who gets knocked up by this soldier from the future, and she knows nothing about killing a a fucking robot, like killer robot, right? But in the in the second one, in Judgment Day, she is a badass soldier, and that and that same parallel and that runs parallel to. Ellen Ripley, who, I mean, she was a lieutenant in the first one. Don't get me wrong. She had a military rank in the first one. But now she, when she comes back in Aliens, the second one, she's ready to go and she's hardened. So, guys, thank you so much for your thoughts on the first two. We don't have a lot of time left, but, uh, and, and let's be real, like, Alien 3 was kind of garbage. It was okay, but it was not great. And then Alien Resurrection, like, pretty good film, uh, but still, it's just a everything else kind of pales in comparison even prometheus and uh and alien covenant but before we wrap up this, the episode is there anything you guys outstanding that you wanted to say about the legacy and some of the the sequels of the sequel um well i'll just go quick uh one last thing i want to say about aliens the character of vasquez is a very memorable yeah, character yeah, yeah. a lot of the lines that she had like hey vasquez have you ever been mistaken for a man no <laughs> have you <laughs> like it, it's a very aliens is a very quotable film yeah um but bill i will paxton say especially <laughs> and bill paxton he's, he's yes. tremendous when he died i just was absolutely heartbroken yes. spoiler but you you he was, he was my favorite character again aside, aside from sigourney weaver uh he was my favorite actor favorite character of the whole movie he was totally incredible. No, but I will say for me, like Alien and Aliens are both A plus 10 out of 10 pictures. They're both brilliant. They're both of them are actually on my favorite films list. 
Um, Alien 3, the main thing, like you kill off Newt and Hicks, two wonderful characters right at the beginning, and you kill them off screen, just no respect for the legacy. Some of the worst special effects I've ever seen. Yeah, Lance wow. Henriksen, terribly underused. Alien 3, uh, I wanted to blame David Fincher, but he's gone on to do some amazing work. Yeah. So it was the studio interference. And he's so. actually disassociated himself from the movie. Oh, yeah. He, he says to people, like, he doesn't want to talk about that movie. Yeah. Nobody yeah. had fun making it. Um, it did not go well behind the scenes either. So. And you know what, Alex, on to that point, they had to, they literally drove a dump truck of money up to Sigourney Weaver's house to get around to this movie. I remember reading about that. She didn't want to come back. It was kind of like with Han Solo, with um, uh, Harrison Ford reprising his role in, in episode um, seven, eight, nine. He did not want to come back and neither did she. They literally had to like, like take a fucking dump truck of money up to her house to get her to be on this thing. Um, it was just all around. There was production issues. There was editing issues. There was pacing issues. There was casting issues. Um, they were trying to make it this Jesus-esque thing where she's like carrying like the, they're trying to, she's making this ultimate sacrifice to go over into the flames so she can kill the alien queen inside her that she's been carrying. And it's just, it's just an awful fucking movie. Enough said. Let's move on to really quick to Resurrection. Does that resurrect the, the series for you guys at all? Um, I will say, so yeah, Alien 3, awful. Alien 4, it's an harmless, it's an entertaining film, but not in yeah. a good way. Like, it's it's so bad that it's good, it's ridiculous. The studio had no faith that they could continue this franchise without Sigourney Weaver. So bringing her back was a bit ridiculous. So... Uh, fun in a really stupid way, but not a good movie. Um, Prometheus, visually a masterpiece. Visually, it's such an impressive film to look at. But some of they the went ideas, back to the HR HR Giger art, yeah. art in that one. Some of, the, some of the ideas are really good in Prometheus, but some of the characters' logic is just really stupid. Yeah. It's a, it's an okay film, Prometheus, for me. Alien Covenant, I tried to watch three times. I fell asleep. I can't watch it, so I'm just going <laughs> to assume it's awful there Alex, <laughs> I, I, went, I actually went i saw alien covenant in theater uh, really? a couple of years ago when it, when it came out and um i remember i i don't remember that much of the movie i didn't re-watch it for this podcast since i knew we were not talking about it much um but i remember leaving the theater not completely disappointed yeah. um yeah. i felt i felt good about it i felt like i had enjoyed watching it um but did it did it really bring back all that nostalgia of of the original alien nah, or add really. anything to the mythos not nah. really yeah guys i couldn't agree more i think i think it's like any it's like the terminator franchises franchise as well like terminator one brilliant terminator two judgment day amazing one of the best blockbuster action films of all time and we'll, we will do an episode on it i promise listeners we will do an arnold episode for sure um, but I think, I think it just goes back to that original sort of thesis that I always bring to these film episodes, which is first one, amazing. You get a sequel, probably pretty good. I mean, Empire crushed it. Aliens was arguably a, a really good sequel. And I think you and me agree on that, Misha. But once you get into the third, fourth, fifth, sixth alien movie, it just, you can tell, you can tell they're just doing it for a buck and they're not yeah. really doing it with the integrity that they had for the first two, for sure, Three. for sure. So guys, before we wrap up, um, uh, if you had to pick today, 
um, your favorite out of these two, uh, you know, Ridley Scott movies, would you go for Blade Runner or Alien if you had to pick one that's better? Oh, okay. This is hard. That's not both, fair. That is not fair. Yeah, they're both brilliant. <laughs> they're, they're both so good. If I had to choose one, though, yeah. I think I would choose Alien if I had to choose yeah. one. But, that, but I mean, they're both on my favorite movies list. But if I had to choose, I'd go with Alien, but that'd be really hard. <laughs> if, if I was going, if I was going to introduce someone to Ridley Scott, um, I would have to show them Alien first. Yeah, um, sure. It's something that's just more palatable for everyone. It's more accessible. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think I'd have to go that way, but it's it. That's a tough call. Yeah, I was going to say I I burst with excitement every time I watch Alien, so I'd have to pick that one. Oh my goodness! <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, we there it is. For, you were, you were waiting for one of my gut-wrenching, uh, gut-wrenching explosive puns, weren't you, Misha? <laughs> that was good. That was good, though. I liked it. Yeah, good guys. So, guys, I mean, I think we're all pretty hardcore science fiction hands here. So, I think this this has been a you know a fun episode. I definitely want to do some more sci-fi episodes. We will do a. I I, I have confirmed with my with my friend uh, Kyle. We will do a Kubrick episode. So, listeners, if you do like Ridley Scott. Um, and you like some of those artistic works, definitely uh, check it out because we will do a Kubrick episode. So stay tuned for that. Um, and we need to do a, a Bill Paxton episode as well. Maybe we'll <laughs> even do a Bill Paxton episode. We have lots of time. I mean, it's been pandemics. We have lots of time to make these shows, right? So Misha, I'll throw it over to you for the, uh, the closing. Well, awesome. It looks like we just announced some future shows, you know, Kubrick, uh, Bill, pa Bill Paxton and uh, Terminator. But as always, thank you for watching our Alien show. If you like what you saw, like, subscribe, share with your friends, follow the podcast. We would appreciate all your support. As always, thank you so much for watching. and We will see you next time.